Hello again listeners and welcome to another edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast as always is brought to you by Ben, a place where everyone, especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. As always, I'm your host Freddie Cocker and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Ben. As you may know by now, each pod I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, I am delighted to welcome the second musician onto the Just Checking In pod. So this performer is part of a band who have already become friends of Vent, who through a Just Checking In written interview that um, they did on the site a few months ago, and they are rising stars in the British rock scene. So that man in question, who I'm thrilled to have onto the pod, is Mr. Jack Campbell. Hello. Jack is lead guitarist in East London-based rock band Cavalcade. Jack, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. How are Thank you? Thank you, my man. I'm good. Excellent. Um, now, first off, so the listeners know, we got connected through your girlfriend, yes. uh, who's also a big supporter of Vent, and it ended up with a little interview you did with us for the launch of your new single. Well, was a new single back then, but it's been yeah, out for a few months, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Blueness is a heavy stone. Um, how's the single been going? What's the progress on it? Good. Feedback, um, response? Feedback has been really, really good. Um, it's connected with a lot of people in the way we wanted to regarding like you know the mental health aspect mm. um streams is doing really well i, I can't remember it's like maybe like five thousand or something mm-hmm. now which mm-hmm. obviously for like an up-and-coming band we're chuffed with mm. um but yeah the, the message has been really well received so mm. and at gigs as well was it has it oh, turned yeah. into a crowd pleaser or yeah, is it yeah, is it yeah. your is it your final song now or it is, is it or is it your is, final yeah, song yeah, it's okay final brilliant song. It's brilliant just, it's got that kind of crowd singing on like the mm. song, you know like mm. um there's been a few kind of special uh, gigs that we've done where the entire crowd are kind of singing it and clapping back. Oh, amazing. So that's when you know like, it's kind of mm. hit them. Exactly. Which is, exactly. It must be a great feeling as well. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's cracking. Mm. It's really, really good. Right, so now we've got out of the way, shall we get started? Let's kick off, Jack, by talking a bit about Cavalcade and how it started. So for the listeners who don't know, how did the band come together and what's the story behind the name as well? Um... We came together, uh, I've known Connor, the lead singer, since I was three. So um, a long way back. Well, uh, yeah, we've been together a for long 23 years. Way back, mate. That's a long uh, way back. No, um, I've, I've known him since I was three. I've known Tom since I was 15. Uh, and then Steve came into it later on. But uh, we never, we were never kind of musically trained or anything like that, I think. Most bands normally aren't, aren't they? They just yeah. kind of come together as mates and just sort of wing yeah. it as they go along. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what we did. Um, we, but we basically got together to write one song. Mm. I think it was a song I wrote, but then me and Connor got together and wrote another one. We just basically wanted to record a song and have it forever and something to show our grandkids and kids and mm. all that shit. Um, and yeah, we got together, we got Tom in as well. I know he played bass. We had a previous drummer, we went traveling. Um, and then we got Stephen. But yeah, like the band just started to record this one song. The name came, um, I stole it from an album title of a band called The Slow Readers Club. Um, I think a lot of bands do steal yeah. their band names from album titles. You it's a big thing that. in the pop punk scene. <laughs> yeah. I feel like with a lot of pop punk bands I, listen, I used to like listen to, and as the years gone on, it'd be like one band has the song title of like yeah, their yeah, band yeah. name is a song title <laughs> from another band, or like their yeah. albums are like it's really weird. It is weird. I think all bands. It's all cyclical, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's all cyclical. But yeah, no, it just it just started as one song, and then I think we was like, we'll do one gig, we'll do one gig, and then we did one gig, and we brought all of our family and friends, there's like seventy people there, and it was mm. cracking and. 
And I think like once you get a bit of good feedback and then uh, I think we showed the recording to some of our mates and then we was like, oh, we could, you know, carry this on as a hobby. Mm. The first year it was a hobby and then for the last two years since our other drummer left and we got Steven, mm. found him on the internet. Um, I think the app was Grinder. or not. <laughs> <laughs> not, we, won't, we won't expose him on his pod. <laughs> no, I don't know. We found him, he, he studied drums, so he's got a degree in drums. So he was mm. like, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you may join. So yeah, it's just snowboard over the last couple of okay. years. And, and for the listeners who haven't listened to you before, how would you describe your sound and, and what other bands may be in the scene would you compare yourselves to as sonically, if any? Um... Uh, we always say Arctic Monkeys just because it's easy. And would you say, like, in that scene, you've obviously got the likes of Blossoms and Massacans who are sort of coming up, and uh, yeah. is that more more lighter in compared yeah, to your sound? Yeah, a bit sound? more kind of... Um, that more indie, they're, more they're sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For our liking, but okay. yeah, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of... Yeah, and the British rock scene has, has certainly had its ups and downs over the last 10 years or so. You know, I've heard it described by some critics as irrelevant and not culturally impactful as it was. Yeah. You know, if you look back through the, the golden era of, say, rock music from 70s and 80s, um, yeah. how would you assess the scene right now and where do you place yourself in it? Um, see, this is the annoying thing because uh, I like to refer to it as the underground scene just because, you know, a lot of bands that we play with um, on a regular basis um, are the bands that I've mainly listened to now. Mm. When, and when I share them with my friends and stuff, it's like, oh shit, you know, like, mm. these are banging. Like, mm. well, how come mm. these are not, you know? Mm. Like, even people say about Cavalcade, it's like, oh, this song, how come this isn't, how come you're mm. not doing this? Like, my mum, for example, thinks we're <laughs> famous. Biggest yeah. Fan. yeah, yeah, she thinks we're famous, really. Like, how is it you're not on Safari <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, you know? The bands who are leading the way, in my opinion, in the scene right now, you know, the likes of Don Broco in the rock scene, Numi at Six, Death of Anna, yeah. and then you've got more sort of heavier bands like Bring Me while she sleeps and in my opinion I mean it's probably kind of underground as well but the UK pop punk scene for me is flourishing in a way that I've not seen it in the last 15 years you know you've got Waster, Rome, Neck Deep, Trashbow, yeah. Boston Manor, Hot Milk as well coming up mm-hmm. you know where do you see Cavalcade fitting amongst all of that cohort you know do you see do you hopefully oh, aspire to get to that level where Don Broco have got to, Yumi at Six have got to and mm. do you see your sound firmly rooted in rock or are there other sort of other influences you've taken from the mid-naughty scene or the indie scene because Don Broker put like a, a rock funk album as their second yeah. album so do you do you see your sound evolving as well similar to those bands yeah I mean it's different I think I wouldn't say we're like rock rock in that sense I say we're more like indie rock like for example I think Catfish and the Bottom are a perfect um, example like they they were a band for like kind of seven years and just work their way around the country just mm. sharing their name out and now mm. they're you know massive massive isn't similar it similar yeah. to like Blossoms and the, like I was saying or like J-Bug that sort of s- yeah. kind of sound kind of yeah, yeah pretty much yeah. Like, I mean that, that, that's what I was going to say that our promotion company is feeling uh, Blossoms came through them uh, The Hunter came through them Catfish mm. in the Bottom mm. and did a few gigs to them on the mm. way up like so the scene yeah we're, we're part of the scene we want to be part of if that makes mm. sense and we're working our way up it but there's mm. just so many bands and so much talent there is you know it's it is tough yeah and me? and i think because the rock scene perhaps like you said is, is more underground at the moment the ones who do make it big can mm. sometimes dominate a certain fan base you know yeah i've been following the likes of spin who are coming up they're really really good but they are they've almost solidified themselves as that liverpool band now almost yeah. in the scene and then you've got people like um, swim deep who've been mm. around for, for years Time. and years or yeah. um, or peace peace, peace yeah, like yeah. you know bands like that yeah, so they've really solidified themselves and they've got that fan base yeah. but 
how is how are you developing that fan base as well in your in your sort in, in East London and sort of beyond in the gigs that you yeah. do and and sort of the other work that you've been doing? Things we're probably not doing enough of that in not not to put us down or anything. I think we've spent so much time in London, but the times that we have delved out, like we played a gig in Preston, um, and it was the first, not the first time, but like the first time we didn't know anyone really mm. there, apart from a couple of friends that we knew in Preston. Um, and the entire room was just like loving it, like silent throughout every song or mm. not silent, but like, you know, they're appreciating it mm. and they had like raw at the end. Mm. It was our first ever encore. Mm. Um, and we've, this year we're going to, we've planned like a tour, which we can't really announce yet, but like there is a tour coming and we're going to delve across the UK and mm. actually get out there because Northern fans, actually, they love they their rock, it, they, they love their music. And they, yeah, yeah they go yeah. for it, you know what I mean? When I said Preston fans stay silent, they weren't, they were, you know, they were, they were giving <laughs> yeah. it some, but they just like appreciated the songs and, because mm. they hadn't heard of us before, they mm. hadn't heard anything, so they, you know, they're really, they're, they just take it in more and they give you more and they really spur mm. you on. So in terms of building the fan base, uh, in London, you know, it's probably the most like, fan area, that mm. makes sense, but... Mm. It's got the strongest scene, you'd say. Yeah, yeah I mean, the cities have probably got the strongest scenes in regards to Liverpool, Birmingham, Manchester. Manchester. But exactly. are you also conscious of that, you know, there's a lot of towns, especially in the north and maybe in the south as well, yeah. which haven't got those strong music scenes and they are dying for bands to come to see yeah. them because they're... And they, they, were, they are so grateful when they do come and Definitely. perform. I think yeah. Preston is one of those places mm. because, I mean, uh, yeah, like, it's, it's not really a... It's not, it's not a place for music. It's a great place for music, but yeah, it's one of them. It's one of them towns that when a band does go there, mm. people flock to it. Like, mm. no matter who, like no matter who it is, they just mm. love to come and see live music. Mm. And how many venues are there in some of these? There's, is there quite a small number? So you've only got a limited amount pretty to much. Break, pretty much play. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, especially for you know, because you know you can't really put bands like us in like a you know, 1,500 capacity venue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> not yet, anyway. Oh, like, mums, yeah, which, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah, very soon, very soon. <laughs> Um, so talking about the underground scene as well who are some bands that you're listening to who can you consider your peers right now then in the underground scene that you're that you either get influences from or they get influences yeah. from you or who do you perform with um, there's a band called Sheafs uh, who are we're massively inspired by I think again. I know Sheafs as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cracking uh, a band called False Heads mm-hmm. um, Sister A oh man there's loads Calvary Louise I'd have to like get my phone out as well. The mm. K's are from Manchester. We saw mm. them recently. They're amazing. Alan McGee, who signed Oasis, just signed them mm-hmm. to his creation label. Um, there's tons. Of, but that's that's that is the thing. It's like it's mad how inspired we are by bands that are like work nine to five jobs and mm. do what we do. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like plan the weekend. Like mm. we're more inspired by people that are around bands that are around us than the big bands that are in you know the mainstream mm. or mm. even like Arctic Monkeys etc. We're so inspired by. Yeah, this scene. That's what I'm saying. It's like, a community. Is, yeah, yeah. It is, you feel yeah. like it's a community, mate. It's it's so cool. Like when 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 they put on like these nights at Nambuka, like this feeling again, um, and you all go down there, like you know everyone. Mm. Like we know so many different bands now, and like it's only going to take one of these bands to blow up, and mm. I mean, some of them are already kind of doing it, and mm. you, you know you know who they are. Mm. Um, it is, yeah. It's a community. It's just mm. such a fucking great feeling. And just talking about the new single or the newish single we should yeah. say and um, by the time this comes out it might not be, it might be an old single who knows uh, yeah. <laughs> um, just just tell me about the creative process behind <laughs> blueness is a heavy stone and and a bit more detail about why you wanted to write it as well um so the music uh, I, I wrote it well i mean i wrote yeah i wrote like the riff and the chords and stuff and 
try to kind of find the melody. I'm not very good with lyrics or anything like that, really. Even really melody, it's not mm. my thing. I'm just good at kind of coming up with cool sound and shit mm-hmm. on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it was, meant, it was meant to be really, I remember it being like slow and ambient. Because mm-hmm. now it's really sped up, like the intro. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really wanted it to be kind of slow and ambient. and um, But I think at the time, the way Connor writes all the lyrics that he'd sing, I think we were all going through separate things at that time that we were kind of speaking about. But there was just loads of shit going on. And I remember um, it, it, we, we were sitting in Tom's kind of outhouse den thing where we kind of write some songs. And uh, it just... Like the whole the whole song just was written in about half an hour, mm. but we didn't really say we we're going to write a song about mental health. I think Connor just. So it wasn't explicit. It was sort no, of like you Connor wanted just, just captured the yeah. mood. I think at the time because we, like, I think it was it was similar. Like, you know, it was around the time because we were. I think we wrote it in two thousand eighteen. So it had been a year after I lost my dad, and I think that was one of the things I was going through. But then, you know, Connor and Tom and Steve respectively had their own stuff, and mm-hmm. it was just this. Yeah, it was weird, man. It's just unsaid thing. It's like kind of just banged it out, and it was like mm. we all felt better about it as well. Because mm. it was very cathartic then that process, that half an hour. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we didn't really. Yeah, like I said, like it wasn't thought about. But then after we wrote it, like, and then we, I couldn't stop singing the chorus because it was punchy, it's anthemic. Yeah, and it's also like this is a heavy stone, but today, mm. today I'm feeling good, you know. Mm. Like, and we got that message, and then that's why, you know, because bringing a song out and then basing it around well, basing the release around mental health can look in a way like, you know, it wasn't like we were using mental health to... You didn't want to see like you were bandwagoning. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, it wasn't. It was the way we wrote it and the way it kind of helped us feel mm. good. Like, it was like a therapeutic process for us. Mm. We wanted that song to be a therapeutic thing for other people. Mm. And when you released it, I mean, obviously, we've come a long way even in the last 10 years when it comes to reactions to people being open about their mental health and toxic yeah. masculinity and all that sort of stuff. But were you ever worried about the reaction and what it might have been? Um, yeah, to an, I think to an extent with that, like, uh, not about the reaction to the song, but probably about like the PR process just mm. because I didn't want it, again, we didn't want it to look like, let's play on this bandwagon that's, mm. you know... Do you, want, do you want to seem inauthentic, basically? Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't. It fucking, like, you know, it means a lot. And I think people people were asking us when that song was going to be recorded because we mm. played it about four or five times live mm. before it came out mm. and I think that's when we knew that we didn't have to worry because people were like shit that is a banger and mm. that you know that's good. and like Connor used to do this little kind of well he still does this little speech prior to like we have this kind of called jazz breakdown before we go into mm-hmm. it and he gives a speech about you know this song's about the times when you feel like shit, but it's also about the times when you feel happy. Mm. And he was doing that before it was released, and I think people like that was hitting people. It's like people then, if they weren't enjoying the set, for example, when when they heard that and then heard Blueness, they perked their ears mm. up because it's like, oh shit, you're actually singing and you're explaining what the song's about, and it, it's important mm. you know, to us. I think the nat- the next natural step of this discussion, Jack, is to talk about what it's like for you to perform live as well and yeah, what it's cool. like for the band to perform live. Now, just tell the listeners about that whole process, you know, before you go on stage, the nerves, the possible anxiety beforehand, the feeling you have when you're performing, yeah. and that sort of dopamine endorphin rush when you get off stage or yeah. when you have that final sort of encore and whatever. Yeah. I think mine's quite weird because uh, I shit it before I go on. <laughs> like, I mean, in the early days, I used to be like properly... Like even on stage, I think the first gig I ever did, my um my Jack Lead fell out of my right. guitar. I just I was about to, about to play, so that was really awkward. But I get like really jittery and anxious. But the second I've set up and you know like you kind of nod to the sound check mm. guy to kind of turn music off and mm. um I literally become a different person. 
don't know if you've seen videos, but I just tend I've to seen a couple. Just yeah, to roll around the floor. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've seen that and one. <laughs> honestly, I shit you not. Like, I know it sounds really cliche to be like, oh man, I just lose myself in the jam. <laughs> but I, I, I do. Like, I genuinely because I think I love it so much. I'm with my brothers on stage. We're writing songs that like mean a lot to us. So every song actually does mean something, not just blueness. Um, and I do just lose myself in like, like Saf is always saying, mm. yeah, like. You look like a different, like you're like mm. a different person. You don't act like that because you're know. lost in music. Yeah, to take, yeah. The, to take the, yeah, 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 yeah. Mate, to, to, to coin the phrase, it is mad. And then yeah, when I come off, I'm just a drenched, shaky mess. Like I can't really talk to anyone. Mm. I usually go and kind of zen for about half an hour mm. afterwards and just like, have a cigarette and just have a beer. And you need the endorphin rush to calm down, don't yeah, you? Because you're, honestly, you're like, high on life, aren't yeah, you? It's yeah, mad. It's, mad. But it's the best thing, honestly. Like it's like for example, Isle of Wight festival, especially when you play in front of people you don't know. And you win them over, and like it's just—that's the best feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Making me shake. Yeah. Like, I, like it. <laughs> I can tell. I can <laughs> yeah. see. I can see. Um, you talked there just about how you 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 genuinely do lose yourself in in the music when you're playing, and when you are on stage, do you feel like it's a form of escapism? Do you feel like it's a mm. it's a place where you actually can truly be yourself, or or, yeah. or is it a bit of both? Yeah, both. Um, I think even not being on stage, um, I've always said to the boys like. Uh, rehearsing just playing music uh, be it acoustically in the living room or in the rehearsal room or on stage is so therapeutic like mm. massively like when I was going through which I'm sure we'll talk about like hard time um, I'd, I'd look forward to rehearsals just because mm. I'd always say to the boys that you know as soon as I'd go in as someone that was you know low and anxious and come out as like the jack that you know, it's almost like your therapy isn't it mate honestly yeah. and it's mad and it still is that there. and like, we haven't Oh, um, you know, like recently, it's been a bit difficult for me, and like, but we haven't actually rehearsed in or played together in about a month now. And I noticed that when I don't do it, or like other things going like, on, we had Christmas and everything. When mm. I'm not doing it, like I kind of need it. Like mm. I actually rely on it. In a you way, need like, that. Need that uh, injection of, yeah, of mate, endorphins. Honestly, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's just because because of how like what a great feeling it is. Mm. And talking about the songwriting now, I don't. I know you don't always focus on the lyrics when it comes to the, the songwriting process but when you do create that hook or when you create that melody what is it like when you sort of find that cohesive bond so to speak between you and, and Connor as well uh, what do you, uh, what, what, what's it like with me and yeah when you sort of find that song and you get that together yeah, yeah. wicked um, we're quite good at that Just, I mean well, I, I don't know I think Connor's just quite good at kind of finding the mood to the chords it's weird that it works different ways. Like Kathmandu Kid, for example, was a poem that Connor wrote about when he went travelling. Mm. And um, I, I, like when he, he found a melody to it and I found, I matched the energy on mm. these energetic chords and mm. riff kind of thing. And But then occasionally, like, with our next single, oh, I shouldn't really talk about it. But, we'll uh, keep you on the wraps for now. By the time, uh, well. to be fair, by the time this comes out, it might be out. So Sorry, we'll, we'll tease it. We'll, yeah, tease yeah. It. we'll so just tease it there. We got a next. No, we can I, leave okay. that in. We'll leave that okay. in. Yeah. <laughs> I know I can say that. We've got, so we got a next single called Ultraviolet. No, it's really moody chords and it's really cool, like kind of sick riff. And again, like Connor just laid over these lyrics that perfectly match. Yeah, we just mm. match each other really well, mm. if that makes sense. But when it when it comes together, it's especially with Ultraviolet. When you hear that, I'll send it to you. Okay, but, brilliant. Um, yeah, like that was a one of them spark moments. Mm. I was like, this is sick. <laughs> Tour, touring is a big part of any musician's or mm. band's life, I should say. It can give artists, you know, incredible highs and it can also give them some of the best memories of their life, but also incredible lows. You know, you, you've only have to look at, you can only Google it, touring impact mental health and just look yeah. at some of the people have said how 
touring or those long, those big long tours, say, top of the top of my head, George Michael went on when he did those like 100 date tours around the world and how it basically sort of almost causes retirement for a while. Yeah. Um, from your experience, how have you found touring and what does it, what effect does it have on your mental health? Um, because obviously, because I guess it's a big part of any band, so you have to get yeah. on with it. But you know, yeah. What are the positives and negatives about it? I don't think I've had particularly any negative just from touring. The thing is, we haven't really been on a real lengthy tour. Mm. But um, I mean, when we played Gibraltar recently, that was like four days of like just constant. Like I don't think we had more than kind of like six hours sleep a night, mm. mainly because you know, like the the first gig we did in Gibraltar, we come on at 1am like mm. because nothing opens really until yeah 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 it's in Spain isn't it yeah but like obviously yeah. That, that so in a sense actually that was I remember like Steve for example um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying I'm sure he won't but like he had like an anxiety attack whilst we were playing purely because of how drained and tired he was and like mm. we, we were told we were going to go on at 11 and we didn't go on till 1 so like we were just fucked by that mm. point you know um, so in that sense I mean I think it's just a combination of kind of tiredness and like you know, because you sound check earlier at like three or four. And mm. Again, like it's the waiting game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Like, even just sitting there and waiting around drains you. Mm. And I think you know, if say Gibraltar was longer and we did it for about two weeks, I think it would have had a real imp- yeah, big impact on mm. on everything. But more so down to tiredness and just anxiety of waiting around. You know, mm. <laughs> exactly. And do you think, like you said, with those negatives, do you think they're discussed enough in the music industry and? Is there a platform that's or or a, uh, an outlet that's that's been made to start that conversation and help artists more? Do you think or uh, I don't th- I don't really think I've experienced it. If I'm honest, no. Like, cause I don't want to slag it off. I'm sure that if you opened up to the you know the right people in the industry, you'd get the help. Mm. But I think there is like a big thing, especially I've seen it like to look cool and to like you know I'll give you an example in a second. But like, well, actually, like yeah, go on, I, give it now. Let's get let's give it let's do it now. Isle of Wight, Isle of Wight <laughs> Festival. Mm. Uh, this is nothing against the people that put us on because it was great but um, I just noticed that we went backstage and like Connor loves fancy dress for example so he's in these fucking pink trousers I, mean, I, I went to festival a few years ago and the fancy dress was yeah. the one so, yeah, yeah mate yeah. It's, it's a great thing yeah. Yeah. and like we had no like so he was wearing these pink things and his cape and this green shirt and like I think me and Tom were just like wearing like shorts and jogging bottoms and just like you know just mm. standard random stuff yeah, where, yeah, yeah, know, yeah we all stunk you know mm. And uh, we played that a couple of days before, but you know you could go backstage to certain areas, and all the backstage areas we went to, people were just it was like fucking twenty eight degrees, and people were in leather, sunglasses, fucking like you know like just trying to it's just mm. trying to do the Alex Turner look cool mm. as fuck thing, and it's like in a way that's bad. But what what I'm trying to say, it's just do you know what I'm saying? It's like there's this, the pretentiousness of it's it. Pretentious, yeah. you, like the rock star thing, yeah, like just look cool. But I think the most rock and roll thing about it is about being rock and roll is that you just don't, you don't give care. a fuck yeah like, and like people picked up on it and said you know like you guys just come back and you just don't give a shit and you're just mm. loving life you know dressed like wankers mm. and that's that's rock and roll to me but then you got these I just think there's a lot but that did anyone tell them that like oh God, rap stars are the are the the rock stars now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> anyone give them send them that memo <laughs> they've not yeah. got 300 million <laughs> followers but that's the thing I think that that whole pretentious you know, rock star thing, wearing leather and looking cool. That is not bad. That's kind of toxic masculinity mm. in a way. Mm. And also the rock star thing to fucking be the biggest drug taker and drink loads, you know. Or be a dickhead to people. Or be a dickhead, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But that, I think that is where the mental health 
mm. thing comes into it and it's negative. And I'm just quickly on that, on that sort of toxic masculinity sort of rock starry vibe. Like, why do you think it's still like? Obviously, it's still going to go and go, and as long as there's people who want to be fame seeking and whatever. But why do you think it's not been sort of tackled as much? As say in other areas of music or other areas of culture where toxic masculinity has slowly started to be broken down a bit more. That's a good question. Mm. It's um, a tough one. It is a tough one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think like the thing is that like, we we've always wanted. Uh, I think everyone's wanted to be a Gallagher brother, where you know the good shit. side though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but like yeah. you know, like like for example, you know, I've read like loads of things. You know, it took loads of drugs. You know, they lived the rock and roll lifestyle. There was never an inkling of any mental health issues with them. Like mm. they painted the perfect kind of mm. picture of you can do it all and you can be fine. Do you know? What I no mean? consequences. No. Yeah. And like you know, their um, their reach and their influence is massive. And I'm not saying that they influence other people to take drugs and it's fucked them up or anything. I'm sure it has. To mm. But do you know what I mean? There's that kind of people like Keith Richards. You mm. know, like massive. You know, again, I, I I like to always bring drugs into it just because they can really fuck you up and when it's painted by some of your idols as like when it's glorified by mm. um especially with this rock and roll thing you know people will push to be like a Gallagher mm. and put their mental health issues to one side mm. if that makes sense mm. Mm. like they want the image more than they'll fight through the image until mm. they're actually fucked mm. <laughs> you know mm. um and I think that's a big part of that it that is toxic masculinity isn't it really yeah yeah, yeah it yeah. is um, if you can improve one thing about how perhaps the mental health of bands in the scene is approached or looked after or, or the conversations that you have, what would it be? Yeah, I'd probably, um, I mean, there are like, there are music mental health charities uh, available, which is like Music Minds Matter and uh, Help Musicians UK. Mm. The thing is, I don't know like the in-depth work they do, but, you know, I just advise basically anyone, any musician to kind of go and speak to those. And even aside from that, you know, like, if you've got a good support network around you, like, the boys in my band are the main people that, you know, I kind of speak to uh, about, you know, about my mental health. Um, mm. Things don't change anything. I think, ideally, if I was Mother Teresa, I'd break down all the toxic masculinity rock star bullshit mm. that we've been chatting about. But, you know, you can't really do that. And people are only really going to want to speak if they want to. Mm. I just make it more kind of... Um, acceptable and like mm. push push it in people's faces more mm. and in a way that's why we kind of did Blueness is a Heavy Stone because not that other bands haven't written directly about mental health mm. but we just wanted to do it and kind of you know where we've made a name for ourselves on the mm. scene now we wanted to push that message mm. out to people you know mm. so in a way hopefully we're changing we're changing it by doing things mm. like that you know exactly and before we forget where can people listen to the single or buy it? Um, Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, SoundCloud, literally. Mm. And, yeah. and Cavalcade, is, Cavalcade is spelled C-A-V-A-L-C-A-D-E. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, boy. We talked about Cavalcade as a band now and as an entity. Um, now I want to just explore your musical journey a little bit more, Jack. So yeah. first of all, so what age were you when you first picked up a guitar? Um... Year 10, so... 15 or 16? 15, 15. I think it was, yeah, so... Shit, 10 years, yeah, man. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it was cool. I was in Nando's <laughs> with my <laughs> mum. And uh, my uh, Connor had just got... Uh, 
I think he'd been playing guitar for a few months and I was jealous and really wanted to learn. Mm. <laughs> and what now, was the guitar that you got? Was it, acu- was it acoustic? Or? <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he had an acoustic, but then I, I said to my mum and Nando, so I was like, I've seen a guitar in cash converters and it's 30 quid, can I get it? And she, yeah, she gave me 30 quid and I ran through Bark in the high street and went and got it and ran with it there. Um, and honestly, it was like a guitar you could have got out of a cereal box, it was mm. terrible. Um, and then, yeah, just started learning on that, but it was one of them that I'd learn for a few weeks, have a six month break, <laughs> learn for a few weeks, get frustrated. Attention span was not on it back yeah. then. It took me like six months to learn Wonderwall. And wow. people do that in like, you know, a hot minute, but now I'm sick, so it's fine. <laughs> and what was that What was that feeling like when you first started playing? What, I mean, obviously you said there, you had a six month break yeah. every, in between every two weeks, so it definitely wasn't something instantaneous. Um, <laughs> That's the thing, right? So did that love of playing sort of come after a few months then? Uh, yeah, I think it was frustration for a good year. But, um, you know, I, pers- I pursued it just because, you know, I was into, you know, guitar music. And uh, I think it was Kurt Cobain that made me want to get into guitar just because I love Nirvana from a really young age. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to persevere. And also, like, I remember I'd go down and show my dad when I learned uh, Seven Nation Army on one mm. string. Um, and he was always just like, yeah, 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 it's good. But he's kind of... I wanted him to be extra, like, gassed mm. for me. And where yeah. it wasn't, I was like, I'll fucking show you. I'm going to come <laughs> back think, and learn To be fair, mate, Seven Nation Army's pretty... <laughs> even for me, I know that's a quite simplistic <laughs> tune to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, yeah, no, it was like it was, a, it was a mixture of all those things, and I just wanted to kind of... So did you play one song to him and you were like, you got gassed, and you were like, yeah, okay, now I've got the reaction out of him? Oh, no, 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 he'd always, he'd always put me up. I think because he knew that, I, like, he knew that I was getting better and better, and he knew that... So he wanted to keep you grounded then? Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good yeah, tactic. Yeah. It was, mate, it was cracking, like, and it just made me, uh, and then whilst I was at uni, I just hammered, hammered away. More free time, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, how do you strive to get better as a musician, not just for yourself, but also to improve Cavalcade sound as well? Um, strive, um... I well, I am known as like, quite weird because I, I uh, not known as weird generally, but uh, the boys I I'll go home and like just play the song like our songs to myself just because mm. I really love them that much and mm. like whereas Connor for example would just forget each time and have to relearn. Them. Oh really? <laughs> Actually, I'm friend on the bus. He's great, but um, yeah, like I I think that's but I think that's quite a good thing that I can't go away and do that because mm. then I'll know you know, each person's parts and you kind of, you learn to love the songs even more, I think, if you play them over and over again. But mm. striving to better ourselves, I don't know, we, I think the more people you meet, like the more producers and, and stuff like that, we've learned a lot to kind of structure our songs differently and like, you know, even learning tactics like with PR, like the more people you meet that help out your band, mm. you learn just different things to help the band, mm. you know, achieve more greatness, mm. I suppose. And you, you touched a bit there about your artistic influences growing up, but who were the sort of main ones which influenced you then and sort of influenced you in your adult life? Because for me, I went through loads of phases that have yeah. shaped the person that I am today when it comes to my music. And sometimes you'll go back to an album that you listened to six years ago and yeah. you'll get that nostalgia feeling yeah, about yeah. those experiences and memories. Yeah. So what, what were the, the sort of sounds that you listened to growing up both then and now, and, and how have you also integrated those into Cavalcade? Um, <clears throat> so I think, like, yeah, like, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana got me wanting to play guitar. Mm. But the bands that made me want to be in a band and actually do it, you know, as a hobby or, a lot, you know, a, a career, uh, probably Arctic Monkeys. But then, main, the sound-wise, Bombay Basketball Club and a band mm. called Flash Guns. Mm. As well I don't as know. Me. I know Bombay. I don't know Flash Guns, but Flash yeah. Guns were like they—they they were only around for like a few years, but 
they had a great album called Passions of a Different Kind and it was just like different guitar chords it just made me I think that made me experiment with the guitar much more mm. um, but Bombay Bicycle's first album was, is massively still inspiring to a lot of the songs like particularly on Blueness actually all that reverby kind of indie rock mm. um, and then more recently Catfish and the Bottomman um, I wouldn't I don't really know how to kind of sum up the sound I've got from it but like it's just even like it's into like you know I looked at like the pedals that they all those mm. bands would use as well and how they'd actually get the sounds and then meshed made a mesh to get the sound that we use if that mm. makes sense so mm. not even just kind of listening to the music like I'd actually go and research fucking everything that they did and guitars they had and mm. you know and try and recreate it but then make it my own as well mm. and just finally you've, you've mentioned a few albums there but if you had to name sort of a few big albums or even just songs actually yeah. that inspired you growing up and how that's not just shaped Cavalcade but also shaped the man you are today what would they be? Good. Yeah that is good uh, it probably would be those um, I'd probably that's put you on it. a spot a bit it's put me on a spot a bit yeah. and I got asked this question but it's say, on my podcast never mind Nirvana mm-hmm. great um, choice uh, take your time uh, I had the blues but I shook them loose mm-hmm. Bombay's first album Passions of a Different Kind Flashgun's first album and then probably The Balcony by uh, Catfish mm. um, yeah th- those four are like I, so they put, they, I still listen to yeah. them like, all the fucking time so you'd go back to like those, those are the sort of albums where you like you'd go back to them on whatever yeah. platform and you just listen to it all the way through yeah, yeah. I remember even before being in the band like I had this thing I used to do where I'd look in the mirror. We had this big old mirror in our living room and I'd like, put my headphones in and pretend I was on stage like jamming out. Everyone does that, man. I do that all the time walking like, along. Fuck. Yeah. I do I that all I the time. And then, and then I listen to a dance music record and imagine myself playing it on a DJ. That's what I do. And then I'll hear the song and I'm listening to it and I'm going, hey, that the other song, I know another song that I can blend into that really well. Oh, that's, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Imagination that's, is great. Yeah. Don't worry, we all do it. All the music nerds do it, trust I me. I've had okay, a few cool. interviews with people and I'm like, did you ever do that thing where you're like, you're walking along and you're like, you imagine yourself playing the song and they're like, yeah, 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 100%. I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Don't worry, well, we all do it. Thank you very we all much. Do it. <laughs> So we've talked about Cavalcade, we've talked about your musical journey, Jack. Let's talk about your own journey, so to speak, now. Um, now, in your interview on Vent, you spoke about your mental health experiences for the first time openly. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And we've referenced it as well, um, and which was you referenced a experience of loss and trauma that took place a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now, if you could, I think you've already told, told us about it, but just tell me a bit about that and what happened. Uh, yeah, so I lost my dad in uh, 2017 um, in... Uh, it was, yeah, very traumatic uh, experience, uh, mm. experience just because, well, obviously it is in itself, but um, I was on my way to rehearsals, funny enough, um, and uh, he was he went on holiday a, a week before with my mum, mm. and I got a, I got a call saying, uh, well, I, I, I voiced my mum from mum saying that something's happened, mm. but not really going into detail, mm. and then I started kind of freaking out, and then when we got to rehearsals and out of the car she called me saying that he'd died basically right. like a Jesus, heart attack Jesus uh, Christ so it was within like a space of like three minutes so obviously like looking back at it now I'm like fuck me man that is a lot to take in you know? was it out of the blue completely out of the blue it hadn't been yeah. there or anything no so the last time I saw him was when we played uh, Camden Rocks Festival like a week before and I uh, mm. you know so that 
which was which was a nice end you know, last yeah. time to see him. But yeah, it was like, it was just out of the blue. A voicemail, two minutes later. Yeah. How long did the phone? How long did the phone call last? Um, in the end, probably. Well, actually, no. I think she might have called probably about a few minutes because. Right. I think I can't actually. Like, it was a bit of a blur, but um, yeah, like. I, sw- I, l- not, I don't laugh, but I look back at it now because I think I blocked out that experience for a while. But I look back now and I'm like, fucking hell, like, that is actually mad. Because mm, I mean, it was that's... just within five minutes of, oh, your dad's had... Completely had fine. Turn. Yeah. Your dad's fine. Your dad's had a turn. Your dad's dead kind of thing, you know. And then, um, and then yeah, and then like the rest of that evening was just kind of like... Uh, How did you deal with it? I mean, uh, when well, you got off the phone, what happened? And then did you say to the boys, you know... I need. I just can't do rehearsals. Oh no! Or did no, you just, no, did no, you do no, not no. just tell them? No, the boys were like, I've, obviously yeah, they're like my my brothers anyway. They straight away were like around me and then ran inside and was like, we can't do this. Like yeah, you know. And those guys was like, yeah, of course. Um, and then run back out and then I think all called our respective parents and um, I think I went. Yeah, I went back. We got a cab or something back to Connors and then I just had. You know, as everyone does in time of crisis, the sugariest tea mm. that's available uh, was made. And then, yeah, and it was just a sad, sad evening. But, like, it didn't, you know... It still doesn't really sink in, in a mm. weird way. Because it happens to such a shock, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and also, I think the fucked up thing about the entire thing is that, like, he went away. Like, it wasn't like... I've never seen any evidence that he's dead, if that makes sense. Right. Because he went away on mm. holiday and just never came back. Mm. And as well as much as I've seen, you know, I had the coughing. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm. It was like. Did she never felt that real sense of closure on that? Yeah, because I. I mean, I, I didn't really want to go and see him, you know, in the casket, mm. etc. Um, but, you know, that's. I think that's the, probably what fucked me up a lot more is because of how intense it was when I found out to um, not having that, mm. like, seeing it for myself. Mm. And how old, were you, how old were you when you died? Uh, 20. Three? Two thousand seventeen. Okay. Yeah, so you're twenty three and was was it would it be fair to say he was he was a big fan of the band and he come to see you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive, stuff? Yeah. yeah. Massive, massive, massive. And obviously as I was saying to you earlier, like, you know, it made me wanna be a better guitarist and everything. Mm. Luckily he got to see when I was pretty decent, so that mm. was quite good. But um yeah, massive fan of the band. Like um he one of the last texts I got of him was saying that uh, Camden Rocks was like one of the best times of his life and mm. like, you know, he really enjoyed mm. it. So which was lovely. I still got all those text messages. You, oh, that's some, so you still got those yeah. voicemails. Oh, amazing! One of the texts uh, he said was, "Happiness is the key of life. So live your life to suit you and fuck the rest." Mm. And I've got this tattoo. Amazing. And we'll uh, for listen. Well, for the for the listeners, it's around your sort of elbow. Yeah. It's around yeah, for, around like the forearm. Yeah, uh, in uh, Anglo-Saxon runes, so mm. like no one else can read it but me. Even though mm. I tell everyone yeah. what it actually says. And what was your re- was your reasoning behind the Anglo-Saxon rune so you could know what it was and no yeah, one else could? So just because, yeah, because I, I didn't really want the scripture. I thought it'd be, I mean, it looks quite nice and it's just kind of like mine and him, me and like his, mm. like only, it's like only I can unlock the code, if that mm. makes sense, to mm. what his advice is. Mm. But yeah, so... Um, and how yeah. you, when you sort of were, were going forward from that, sort of how did you support your mum? How did your mum support you? Did you go out? to where they were on holiday first of all oh, did you no, fly no. out or did you sort of wait and try no, and process they, it yeah they were oh I don't even, oh, yeah, I, like, I cried consistently and was very down but oh, it was nice because I was staying at Connors um, and Tom took the days off work and we spent that together and then the boys all my mates kind of would come round every evening 
until mm. my mum flew back. I think it was only like three days. Mm. But there was, it just made no sense to put me on a plane to fly out there yeah. when I think because yeah she flew back with people that she'd met out there and so there was a support network mm. on either side so that was good mm. um but yeah like it was a really in a weird nice few days where my mate like because all my mates were just surrounding yeah. me and trying to kind of cheer me up but also obviously just like a blur of mm. must have been because I mean how much do you remember of it like that those first few days after it um it's patchy, like, mm. it's more pictures rather than memories, if that makes mm. sense. Like, I can, yeah. And, obviously, you said that he didn't have, sort of, any red flags, there wasn't any, sort of, telltale signs that no. he might have been going through something, and, and unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot, I mean, I can only speculate on this, but, you know, we had, you're, you're aware of Leighton Orient, you're aware of um, Justin Edinburgh passing Emperor, away yeah. from, a, from a heart attack at, at about 48, 49, mm. um, and I lost... Um, a best mate at work from a heart attack and he was 35 so it's obviously something that's happening with a lot of men Um, why do you think it's important that that men do go to their doctors if there's any sort of flag they see because if they don't we can end up losing another generation of men to this couldn't we yeah man exactly yeah Um, that's things a lot of people are actually scared of I've got friends that are like nah it'll be fine it'll pass Mm. but I'm always like I fucking went to the doctors once when I pulled a muscle in my back. That's anxiety. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like, anxiety. I've got a headache. Might have a brain tumour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm so bad at Googling. Yeah. Don't I'm, Google I'm it. I always no, say never. don't Google it. So like you've got a sore throat, you're going to die in a day. Mm. Like, um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, definitely. Because, yeah, it's such a like, it's almost like a, like a silent killer, isn't it? Mm. In a weird way. Um, and my, well, the thing is with my dad, it was different because he had, he'd had two heart attacks but like 15, 17 years prior, I think. Or no, maybe even longer. When when I was three, he had his second one, but they were only minor ones, like where mm. he just on, the, he on the spectrum. Pain. Yeah, he just yeah. had a chest pain, and it wasn't like when he was told he had a heart attack. He was like, "What?" Like, it just felt like a little man mm. kind of thing. Mm. So, well, they weren't intense ones, but um, for then, like the following twenty years, he'd been the healthiest he'd ever been. Mm. And sort of looking back now, what were your sort of favourite memories of, you, of you, you and your dad growing up, and and what are those? Memories that you sort of treasure and share that you take forward in your own life now as well, um, going forward. He was he was incredibly funny. So a lot of uh, farting was uh, <laughs> <laughs> was a uh, was it was a key memory. He used to wake me up via farting outside my bedroom with these twenty second long farts, which I just thought was. That's <laughs> well, quite talented, yeah, isn't it? It is. That's quite talented. Yeah, Honestly, sometimes like he would laugh whilst they were still going on. But you know, we we just had a lot of fun together. Like he was like. You know, I like confiding him about things, and like we go to Lake Noyant. Like that's why I was really interested in that last pod because we were both uh, Lake Noyant fans. Um, yeah, there's, there's too many memories to name, really. I think it was just like every memory of him was a memory because it was always funny mm. and always jokes cracked and mm. stuff. But and um, you talked about the the tattoo you've got there and the sort of really key message that he gave to you that you really treasure. What sort of the other things that he used to say to you that you sort of take forward or you you keep with you so to speak as well yeah that is a good one I need to the thing is I've wanted to like recently make a note of them not not that I've been forgetting them but mm. um, he was just more just always about kind of being being happy and like if I'm ever kind of down or sad I, I know what he would say because he said you know like not worrying like uh, the anticipation of anything is the worst thing he's saying mm. he'd always say you know like that build up before game going to school mm. like, but then you get there and you'd have a f- 
pretty decent days, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something I always take. Like, I'm always... If I'm anxious about something or I'm building up to something I'm nervous about, I'm pretty chill. Interviews now, I smash him because he always told me that um, when you go to an interview, you're interviewing them just as much. And that just instilled this confidence in me that mm. now I don't really get very nervous for interviews. Just little things like that, really. Mm. You know, little bits of advice that I still always take. Mm. Yeah. We say a lot on this podcast, Jack, that grief is, is almost more stigmatised than mental health is. It's, yeah. it's multi-layered, it's personal, it's complex it's multifaceted um is that something that you'd agree with definitely and why do you think that is do you think um because it's uh, it's the same with mental health though it's different to each person mm. like this is a thing like which i'm sure we'll get on to throughout the rest of this podcast but um the way that you could suffer from the exact same uh diagnosis mm. and like term like mm. anxiety or depression mm. or whatever but each person on this earth experiences it completely differently. Mm. Like, you can share things, or you can share certain symptoms and, you know, certain experiences, but my advice to kind of helping... So, for example, if we both had anxiety, which I think mm-hmm. we do, my advice to kind of helping you out of it might not work, mm. and then that would make your anxiety worse. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, in a way, as much as I was talking about and helping, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, we obviously should, but, like... Just everyone, tailor it. Yeah, and yeah. It, uh, yeah, and everyone is different. And yeah, linking that back to grief, it's like when my dad died, loads of people were telling me different things of how I might be. And in a way, that was good and also fucking really bad. They should have mm. just kind of let me crack on because mm. I then kind of had all these different things. And I'm like, oh, I should be like this, but oh, but this person was like this, so mm. I'm probably going to be like this. And why am I not feeling like this person? Second guessing yourself. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that, if anything, it kind of contributed to fucking me up a little bit. Not shout out, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's, it's not that, but you know what I mean? Loads of people kind of go, you might feel like this, which you, you oh, it's cool to offer advice. And, you know, if I had to, I'd probably do a similar thing, but at the same time, too many kind mm. of experiences of people really kind of affect how you go through it. Mm. And yeah, you're right about it kind of being... Because grief can... Fu- I don't know, it can just fuck you up in really different ways. I can't mm. really explain it. No, that's, you, yeah, you I mean. are right, you are right. Um, just just building on to that, you... When he did pass away, did... After, obviously, you processed the grief, you know, what was that process of grief like for you? Did you go through sort of various stages of sort of shock or anger or or maybe even resentment I don't know like no, what was the is, sort of process for you this is why it's quite nice to actually I wanted to like vocalise it because I don't really speak about it enough but um, I've blocked it out and it's only really been this year well 2019 that I started grieving mm. which sounds fucked but basically in that period of those four days where I was like crying non-stop as soon as my mum got home and we had a cry together she was like let's go out and get out of the house and then I remember going like, right, I've got to stop crying. I've got to actually stop and like, because I'm going to be in public. And then like, mm. we went down the road and we had some food. And when, when we got to the restaurant, um, I felt like I was, I was wanting to cry. And mm. I held it back and like didn't. Mm. And then when I realised that I could stop crying, I genuinely didn't cry again for about seven months. Wow. And that was only four days after he died because mm. I taught myself not to. Mm. And that contributed massively to the negative things that I've experienced. Because you were bottling things up, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And like, even now, I can't remember the last time I cried. Mm. It's been time. And like, you know, I've been through some recent, like recent stuff, mental health stuff recently where I've been like, 
oh, I need to do is cry, and like, mm. you can't, and it's fucking... But it's because... You created like, that block, maybe. Yeah, yeah, which is why, you know, if anyone is listening to this podcast uh, and it's been through similar things, you know, I really feel like you should never do that because mm. I, it's a massive regret that mm. I... Because now I actually just struggle to cry about anything unless I'm watching, like, fucking Jack Frost or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that has a really... Uh, Bad where she accidentally puts on films where the dad dies and I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> you know this is a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. But in a way, it's good because when I do cry at those things, I cry for hours because mm. it's like fucking months. They've of... opened the tap. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's good. So sometimes I'll put on a real sad film and that's the only way, but mm. then I'll just not, I'll cry mm. for like a day. <laughs> and um, when, you know, after you'd, you'd sort of process a little bit and, mm. and it'd been a few months... Did you did you have a, any sort of feeling or desire to sort of achieve or a greater desire to, you know, get that success with Carol Kay because he would have mm. wanted you to do that and yeah. not and not sort of let it, you know, go to the wayside or stuff like that? Definitely, yeah. Because we, we were planning to go into the studio that weekend, um, which was really shit timing on Jeff's part. Uh, but uh, that was my dad's name, by the way. Mm. Um, yeah, but then we, I think we gave it, I think it was like maybe... I think like a month down the line, I think we went back into the studio. But no, like we always wanted to carry on the band and it wasn't, it wasn't just Finn, but yeah, like, you know, if anything, it's quite, I find it quite sad that now I can't tell him things. I, you know, he never knew about Isla White. Mm. The songs that we've written recently and released, like he never got to hear technically, you know, and um, that's really sad. But yeah, we do, we always do things, you know, he he is brought into things quite a lot, like discussion wise, mm. um, and like I think every time we do something that's like the ne- like you know like Gibraltar and stuff, mm. I think the boys have been oh like mm. you know, your dad would be proud and you know mm. so it's good that he's mentioned and in a way we do do things on behalf of mm. him yeah because he's yeah. such a big fan of it. It's 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 um it's interesting that you can sort of like laugh about the experience. So I I always find that if I can laugh about a negative experience in my life, I own it. Mm. If that yeah, makes yeah, sense, definitely man. Um, if if your dad was listening to this pod right right now, and I'm sure he is somewhere, what do you think you would say to him? Um, uh, how is it up there? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Probably a lot. I think that's. I'm. I think I miss like that. I think that's one thing. I think it's when you can't speak to that person anymore. Do you know what mm. I mean? So, if I'm honest, say I'd be a shitload. I'd be. Saying, <laughs> what's, I'd be the, like, what's the number one? Help me out. Yeah. Um, no, I'd, pro- I'd probably just ask for some more advice on things, really, mm. because as much as it's only been a couple of years, you know, I've grown a lot as a person, and I would probably like to. Twenty five is a big time for a lot of us. I think. Yeah. You're twenty. You're twenty five. I'm twenty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's a big year as an adult. Yeah. You definitely. sort of. Either sort your shit out or yeah. you realise that you need to sort your shit out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a different person to two years ago for sure. Um be it probably more actually I feel a bit more confident in myself than I did. But like I don't know, I'd still yeah, I think it's just more advice and just like just a general chat. Yeah. Mm. And just moving on from that now, in the interview you also talked about your experiences of living with disassociation and anxiety. Now yeah. Let's unpack that first condition first. So for the listeners who might not know what that term means, just tell them what it does mean yeah. and how it affects you in your day-to-day life. Well, so I put disassociation in the interview because I was holding back a little bit. I think I suffer from um, uh, something called depersonalization, Okay. which disassociation kind of feeds into. Mm-hmm. And um, so from what I've read and, and heard, depersonalization is like a result of trauma. Mm. And it's like your 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 mind going into fight or flight mode, mm. and it 
it essentially just makes you feel spaced out from mm. from reality essentially mm. like and the best way to describe it to people that haven't suffered from anything like that is you know when you like go to Weatherspoons at about 10 in the morning and I you're mean like, and you're I'm sing- not I can't 100% <laughs> claim to not have done that on the pod <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> and then you sink about 7 pints until yeah. about 3pm and then you come out and the, like you've got that hazy kind of do you know what I'm trying to say like that hazy light headed mm. vibe mm. going on I think it's all like, drunk <laughs> you know when you're drunk yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel drunk all the time no it's just like it, it, it's really really difficult to explain but I think essentially scientifically it's your mind um, numbing you from the uh, the harshness of the reality that you've just mm. experienced mm. which is actually probably the best way to sum it up and you know sometimes I think especially in the first few months after my dad died particularly where I was blocking out all of the negative emotions mm. It was just feeding this fucking monster of making me feel like mm. anxious about everything and like spaced out. I'm sure we've all been spaced out and lightheaded generally. Mm. Like it's just that, and um, but it's scary because it's like a really alien feeling, and then that kind of just caused more anxiety because I just didn't know what the fuck was going on. Mm. Um, and then obviously started kind of having like counselling and therapy and stuff, which obviously really helped. But yeah, like I think I don't tell many people that, which is why I wanted to come on to this and you know normalise it you mm. know and you also mentioned there your struggles with anxiety now this is something I live with as well so mm. just tell me how anxiety affects your life and in what ways um I was thinking of like some good examples like um because I was saying to my mate the other day that like it's not just something where it's like oh I'm, I'm anxious about going to this or going to that like it completely fucking engulfs my entire body like mm. as if like as if the world's going to collapse in on me, which is mm. fucking... Like, you know, it sounds really, like, crazy and... Um, Unless you know, you're experiencing it. Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? And I think... And I I, um, I was chatting to a friend of mine the other day and, like, he's never had anything and he always finds it really interesting to kind of, you know, listen to it. And I said, like, apparently this example made him understand it more. Um, I went to meet um, some of staff's work colleagues mm. and... Um, on the way there, I was just feeling really low and I was like, I, I can't, I can't meet him. Like, I just don't really feel like it. But mm. she was cool with that. And then suddenly I was like, actually, fuck it. I'm going to go in. And like, I literally put on a mask and like the person that walked in, was out walking towards the pub was completely different from the person that was in there. And I was like, really kind of like, you know, out mm. there and like making jokes and mm. like, you know, like, and like they loved me. Like they mm. thought I was great. And I walked out and I was exhausted from it because mm. it wasn't me. It was me covering up me like mm. by trying to be this fucking big version of myself because mm. it was like yeah I was I was just so low but I, I I was just anxious for them to see the low that I've had to but then like it's just that exhaustion afterwards mm. as well you're mentally fatigued yeah, yeah it's mental fatigue yeah and then like you know going out with uh, Saf afterwards and I was like it ruined our night but it didn't like she was fine but like, it ruined my night because I was fucked then for the rest of the evening because mm. of the energy I put into it mm. And then my friend Nick was saying, you know, like, that makes a lot of sense kind mm. of thing to someone that's never had anything like that. Mm. And when you first became aware that you might have anxiety, was it something you accepted straight away? Was it something you, you struggled to, to kind of come to terms with or no, did it take you time to, to accept? Uh, it's still something that I... Like, I mean, I, I do accept it, but I also, when you get into that kind of, you know, when it completely takes you, mm. like, it's... 
you kind of want to tell you know you're just like, why the fuck like you know mm. sometimes like, sitting there in my why room me? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? yeah and it's like you're sitting there in your room and like you're just on edge for no fucking reason and mm. that's when i think if you find it i always like to say like you're feeding the monster mm. um and it isn't like i think people use the whole like term demons and monster and like people that haven't experienced it probably see it as like we do have like actual monsters in our mm. head it isn't that though it's just but if you call it something and you personalise it as a feeling, mm. I feel like it's easier to then, you know, like remove it or mm. push it to one side because if it's a feeling and you don't personalise it, it can just run throughout your entire body. But if you personalise it as a thing, then you put it just in your head and you can put it to one side, if that mm. makes sense, or at least try to. Sometimes mm. you can't, but do you know what I mean? Mm. And on this mental health journey you've been on, particularly over the last two years where you've began to become more aware of the conditions that you've lived with you've mm. come to process it as yeah. well a lot better which is fair to say what have been sort of some of the high moments and what have been perhaps some of the more difficult moments as well um, and what have you learned from both of them I've learned actually that it does come and go like there there was a period of about like three months I was fucking absolutely fine like mm. as in like I was like, I'm cured. <laughs> yeah, but that first false dawn's the worst. <laughs> Honestly, though, it was mad. And then, um, and then you just kind of slip back into it. But I think I, I look at it as like, um, you know, it's not. I see it as like a big giant hole, and sometimes you're gonna, and more often than not, you'll fall into it, mm. and then getting out of it is really difficult. But then there'll be days, weeks, and sometimes months of experience where you just learn to walk around the hole and you don't fall mm. into it, but you know it's there. Mm. And then sometimes, you know, you can seal part of the hole over and you'll never experience that bit. You know, I, feel, I mean, it might reopen, but do you know what I mean? I feel like that's quite a good way of saying it. And yeah, I don't, I mean, what, like I've had real, real low moments, but I just like to live in the present now and take each day as it comes. Mm because I've had like the worst fucking day ever and then woke up and had the best day ever the next mm. day. So it really is, you know, it can just change so much, you know what I mean? Mm. And for anyone who might be listening to the pod who may be living with anxiety or depersonalization mm. and may be struggling, what piece of advice or, or message would you give them? I would say, I know it's the standard, but like just to talk about it and just open up because over the last kind of like month or so, I've noticed that my friends recently noticed that I've, not been talking to them or mm. um i think where christmas is a bit difficult time for me i just usually go into my shell a little bit mm. um and what do you think that is probably just because it's like my dad not being mm. there and yeah like, like sure. i said like where i blocked it out for so long i feel like 2019 was probably my actual year where i did fully grieve mm. which is like two years of not which is kind of mm. you're catching up, up. Yeah. yeah do you know what i mean and i think at the end of the year it just kind of all took its toll but I, yeah i just the advice i give is just to kind of don't Google, don't Google anything. Because mm. sometimes I'd see a symptom and I'd be like, I haven't got that yet. And then start to get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I haven't got that. And then, oh, wait, but I should be having this. And then start developing mm. that symptom because you think it's the part of it, if that mm. makes sense. Mm. Um, so yeah, like you can just fuck yourself up. I'd just say like talking, and I also think counselling and therapy, as much as I'm not going to lie, I was very embarrassed when I first went because you just didn't want to be that guy. Mm. In um, commas, yeah. I would... Um, I'd very much recommend that just because getting it out and talking to someone and then like it's like you can see it laid out in front of you like laying out the timeline of when you started to feel funny and you know the process mm. it makes you kind of yeah like you can um, 
You can visualise it, I guess. You can visualise yeah. it and, and it makes scientific sense of why mm. you feel the way you feel. Mm. Our final topic of conversation, Jack, and it's one that I have with all of my special guests, which mm. is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Uh, this year, for two mm. days, it's been great. <laughs> two days, amazing. Yeah, I, I know, you said it, like, fucking... Good I, start, though. <laughs> yeah. I feel like December was a real difficult one. Um, just because obviously the time of year, you know, Christmas and obviously still, you know, not having my dad there, etc. Mm. Um, and also the thing is I've thought about it in reflection recently and I, I moved out of the house. I was going to move back into my arms for a bit. Mm. Um, I've started a new job on the 13th of January. Like there's a lot of, I always notice that when there's changes in my life, my anxiety goes back. Mm. Right. I'm the same, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's, and it's weird because... I think it's because like you get used to living with anxiety in your standard routine so much that you can actually get it under control from mm. it. And then when certain things change, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. For the listeners, I'm nodding intently. Yeah. This is literally my life. <laughs> um, so it's been, one of, it's been one of them ones. But like, um, starting the new year has been, has been good. I think, I don't know. And also, like, I feel like me and my mates were chatting and it, December was a weird month for everyone. Mm. And sometimes I feel like maybe like, not that I'm into the stars and the universe and stuff like that, but maybe the stars are a bit fucked for that mm. thing because everyone was going through some shit and it was mm. and it was weird because like I wasn't there for one of my friends recently who's gone through a breakup like and he made me aware that I wasn't, but then he didn't know that I was going through my own stuff because no one was really talking and mm. there was a, I just felt like December was quite a weird month for everyone, but mm. um, but generally like at the minute. Like last couple of days, it's been alright, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm looking hopeful for the new year. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And obviously, you've mentioned it before, but if you felt comfortable saying sort of what mental health issues do you live with, um, and how do they affect you in your day to day life? Um, yeah. So, um, depersonalization and dissociation—they're not as kind of intense anymore. Mm. But I find that my anxiety will lead to the symptoms of those two mm. like the more anxious I am the more I'll disassociate them disassociation. not perfect yeah. yeah and dissociation yeah. as I said you know it doesn't I'm, it just kind of means that when I'm in a conversation sometimes and if I dissociate it just feels like I'm staring through the person and not really with it and mm. there um, but most people can't really see when I'm like that mm. unless you know like Saf or a couple mm. of mates are like are you having one of those and I'm like yeah um but like, I was going to say as well, the most fucked up thing about that is sometimes when it got its most intense, it felt like I was watching my life in a film. Mm. Like, I think, that, and that is something that I don't really voice much because it makes me sound like an absolute weirdo, but, um, which it shouldn't because we should all fucking talk about it. Mm. Um, but it generally, like, at the height of it, at the height of it, it literally it felt like I was, like, living my life through my eyes through a screen. Like, sort of like sort of like an out of body experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like and I get that. Do you? Yeah. Good. A little bit not, sometimes. Um, yeah. Not, but normally when I'm asleep or like when I'm about to go to sleep, it's really weird. I get yeah. that a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, or your I, mind's going like fifty million miles, but you're sitting there and you're like about to go to sleep. Yeah. I've had. It's yeah. really I've weird. Like I don't know how to explain it to people. In it. Thank you. Yeah. I did, and that's one thing I really wanted to voice and to people to hear because like, it's like it is. Like, it's actually quite crazy it's crazy that your body and brain can make you feel that way mm. but it's also extremely frightening like mm. I've had to jump out of bed and like go into you know 
my mum's room or my mate's room or whoever I'm staying at the time just being like I centre myself because mm. and I think what it is is that you're so in your head about your thoughts and you're so self-aware of your your feelings in your body that everything else around you kind of like for that second doesn't exist or like it's like, it's like mm. do you know what I'm trying to say mm. it's like mm. you're so heightened by all these fucking horrible anxious thoughts and feelings mm. that you block everything else out and you just feel numb to reality in a weird way. Mm. And what age do you think you were when you first realised that these feelings you were having sort of weren't physical and you, they were actually in your mind? Mate, after my dad... Before my dad died, man, I was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, the bastard did that and then no, I did that. I'm joking. No, I literally, like, that. that's the thing. Like, before he died, I was a big advocate. Like, I was always kind of like, yeah, like, fair play, if you have mm. mental health issues, like, you mm. know, I was always a big advocate for it and, like, I never understood it and I never experienced it, but I was always kind of like, oh, that must really suck. Mm. And then when I started to get them feelings, I was like, oh, finally, kind of, you know, I finally get it. So 23, mm. so, you know, I lived, mm. I lived so a very, very happy, recently. Yeah. I lived a very happy life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but in a way it's kind of, I'm quite happy, not happy, but, but you know, like I'm, I'm glad I've experienced it in a way because helping others like, and understanding it now and having these chats with you and you know, what you do is, fucking so good and thanks man um it's 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 in a way it's not it is nice to be a part of because like and it's good that we're talking about it now because i just i don't know like if i look back like you know 50 years ago it, people have gone through what i've gone through like 50 years ago when you couldn't voice nope. it or you were like, chucked in at an inverted commas ima- nut house or yeah, whatever mate, or I something could, horrific i couldn't imagine not talking like mm. i couldn't imagine i like i I mean, you know, I'll suicide things well, like I probably couldn't, you know, it'd be so difficult to mm. live with without voicing it, you know. Mm. So it is amazing that we do, that you do these kind of Thanks, things, man. you know. Um, what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health then? Uh, they could be sounds, sensations, something that, some, a thing that someone might say. Yeah. What sort of things do you find that trigger it? Um, that's what I uh, said before about Googling it, I think, you know, because um, sometimes you're your own worst enemy with it. Mm. it was what I find like um, sometimes you know I feel like I make it worse a lot of the time because have you ever had those days where you're good and you're like I'm a bit too good Mm. and then you start to catch yourself you start to give yourself anxiety because Mm. you're feeling fine like Mm. you know I do that a lot but um, I don't know other triggers Um, this one's going to be weird but brightness brightness okay when it's too bright it really fucking spaces me out Mm. and I don't know why that is yet but I've I've Googled it, unfortunately, mm. like, even though I just said not to. <laughs> and apparently it can just be a trigger just because it's a different, like, it's just a sensation that can mm. make you feel. Um, also, I was getting, when I was getting anxiety, I used to get anxiety in large open spaces, mm. whereas now it's changed. And when I'm in my room, I feel more anxious. Than oh, okay. Anxiety, which is kind of weird. Like, do you think that's an isolation thing or do you think that's... Well, when I, when I was having counselling, my counsellor said to me that um, apparently being, oh, I can't remember the term she used, but it like, it's a thing where, like, when you're in, like, a wide-open space, you just feel like you could just get eaten whole because it's such a grand mm. thing. Mm. Um, which I didn't really get, but it helped me at the time because I was like, oh, okay, and then look past it. But now I feel, like, more... Like, when I'm in my room and it's just me and I'm, like, overthinking or whatever, mm. you know, those are the worst kind of kind of places. Mm. But, yeah, just weird mm. thing to bring up. <laughs> and um, what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, obviously you've got the band, but... Yeah. What other things have you found that worked and what, what ones that haven't? Um, getting out of the house when you don't want to. Forcing mm. yourself to fucking do what you your body's telling you you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
my mates to invite me out. I'm like, no, you know, too anxious. <laughs> like, go and just get yeah. out. Meditation, uh, reading about mindfulness and trying to use it, and then breathing techniques mm. all really, really, really help me out, mm. especially breathing techniques. I think, especially that kind of bedroom feeling where you're like, mind's racing, etc. Just by the third breath, by the third deep breath, I guarantee mm. things are a little bit better than they were. Mm three breaths ago <laughs> <laughs> um, toxic masculinity is something that we try and break down a lot on this pod Jack um, from your experience you know give me a couple of examples perhaps where you've encountered it and the effect it had on you and also you know what does it what does what does the actual term mean to you as well um, it's a good question I mean I feel like we're surrounded by it a lot especially kind of like for example if you wear Harry Potter style glasses and got skinny jeans and have curly hair. You know, you're a prime target. Someone in this pod is is wearing that right now, aren't they? And it's not me. I feel like, you know, like um yeah, like especially like in East London and stuff, not that that's the only place, but you know, Geezerville. You know, mm. going down to the local booze mm. and that, you know, um but oh, I don't know, it's a really it's a good question. I don't feel like it affects me like too much. But it is a big thing that does contribute to negative mental health, um, mm. yeah, the aspects of negative mental health. Um, or just not open up, or boys not open up. Yeah. Do you know we've I mean? had like, another two examples in the last week as, at time of recording when two um, members of the travelling community took their own life. Yeah. Um, they were on, I think they were, on big, I think they were featured on Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. I have to fact check that. Um, and they were twin brothers. And they both took their own lives. Um, so we are losing men every yeah. day. And for me, toxic masculinity is... I mean, it, it's a term that's banded around a lot. But for me, I think, like you said, it's it's just something that can take hold quite quickly mm. and envelop a lot of boys and just stops them speaking out, basically, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. I think, and you find it as well... I was saying this the other day, like, a lot of... Um, what was it? So I went to, like, the Blues Kitchen in Camden and I remember, mm. like turning to Saf and saying this is such a cool place like everyone is just doing themselves like I bumped into a guy on the way to the toilet and he said oh I'm sorry mate and like and I, and I find them places now like they're really hard to come by places mm. that men and like you know the whole talk like because mm. I go to so many pubs and bars and stuff and they're just full of fuck yeah that's, and the more I'm thinking about it now the more it's mm. kind of making sense like do you see it a lot in like mm, like the fitness cult, the negative side of fitness culture. Obviously, we all try and take take care of ourselves. Do you see? Um, do you see it ha- affect a lot of men who are like, you know, belittle other men who aren't as big as them or yeah. that sort of stuff as well. I see that more in like the streets though, more than anything. Because when I've been to the gym, which is a whole three times, mm. uh, and they were very hard. Different <laughs> um, there's been actually like the the beefy dudes are usually ones to kind of help Same you out. Man. Same. Yeah. In my gym, they're like that as well. My gym's full of bodybuilders and yeah. they're all, always, almost always just calm guys. Yeah. But it's outside mean? the gym where you get the... It is. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. And, um, but you're right. Like, and even back in school... Oh, it was oh, horrific in school. Yeah, yeah. The toxic masculinity thing was rife. Mm. Um, and I think... But that is, that is like the point that kind of defines you a lot and it's... 
It's good now that mental health, I'm sure, is like spread. I don't know if I've really wanted it to be like taught in schools. I don't know if mm. there's been any more kind of. I don't think it's taught in schools as like a subject, but there is there is the, a lot more work, it, yeah, on, yeah, on it being done, especially when it comes to first aid and stuff like that. Yeah, which is good. And in a way, I think social media is. There's a lot of negative points to social media, but I think it's good in that sense that you know more young children have phones, and in a way, a benefit of that is. You know, like you see so many posts now about mental health on Facebook mm. and shared across social media that young people can kind of, you know, it's it's exposure to mental health that I didn't have when I was that age, mm. put it that way. Mm. And hopefully they take that and use that in like a positive light. Mm. So that could probably break down toxic masculinity there. Mm. And, and why do you think, and this is obviously a very tough question, but why do you think we as a gender and as men have, even until recently, failed to be open about our emotions failed to express vulnerability failed mm. to f- well and not felt comfortable in doing it either um i think it depends on a lot of things because i'm not even gonna lie like i'm still uh it was on christmas eve i didn't want to really go out and even see the boys because i felt really shit mm. um and i went and it took me like 15 minutes to admit the actual real reason as to why i didn't want to come out which is mm. i was anxious and these mm. are people that like i tell they know anyway because mm. like that it's such a difficult thing because you know as we say as you know i'm sure you're the same like you know you you say that this is what we should do and we should open up more and we should speak more and we should break this down and and all of that but when it actually comes to it sometimes mm. it can actually be really fucking hard mm. or you say the, <laughs> yeah, you say yeah. it once and they go yeah happy to support you and yeah. then that's it yeah nothing goes further than that conversation yeah. that's what i found a lot yeah with boys definitely um and i think it's just like because I don't know, like, I think I'm the... F- actually, no, I'm probably not the first in our group. But... Actually, yeah, maybe. I don't know, like, it's just... I feel like in each group, it's not... I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's such a difficult thing. I just think, like... Do you like, feel like you were the first one to be open about it? That's what I was going to say, but now I can't remember if I was. But I think I was, yeah. Mm. Um, it's always hard being that, the first as well. Yeah, that was difficult. And now we are, as a group, much more open. But even then, it's still... There is an embarrassing element to it but I know mm. that you know I've come in this pocket I'm not actually that embarrassed to speak about it. I think it's a really good thing I think the more and more we speak about it and the more and more people share their experiences the easier and easier it will become I think you know I don't actually know why it's so difficult it's probably because we're just in like the this is like the last couple of years and like the next 10 years whatever are going to be this is the transition period into a we are the first com- generation I guess aren't yeah, we yeah like yeah. a complete free and open you know discussion of, uh, yeah well I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast Jack thank you so much for being my special guest on this Thanks, edition's man. pod and for checking with me thank you so much for your openness and honesty I really do appreciate thank it um, I wish you the best of luck with the band Cheers, uh, for 2020 can't wait to see what you have in store for those who want to listen to Cavalcade or uh, give it a, give it maybe a record a buy, um, <laughs> where can they find you on social media and streaming platforms? Um, so all streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, these are so- social cloud, SoundCloud, um, Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash Cavalcade Band. Instagram is at Cavalcade Band. Twitter is cavalcade underscore underscore because one underscore was already taken. Oh, got him. Bastard. Um, yeah, and then uh, our website as well, www.cavalcadeband.co.uk. 
and we have t-shirts available so please buy one excellent <laughs> and we'll put a link to all of those in the description of the pod that's it thank you very much man as always thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in remember if you've liked what you've heard please give this a share on all the usual social media channels tell your friends or work colleagues about it or feeling very very generous write us a review on iTunes we hope you check in with you again very soon and remember it's always okay to bend it's true.